Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Heavy Branches. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're so glad you're here with us today as we're going to be going through Luke chapter 18. But before we get going there, Tanner, how's your week been? My week was good. I uh, got to take some time and go up to see my dad. Uh, He lives about three and a half hours away from where I live, so it's a little bit of a trip, but got to hang out with him for the week and see my brothers and and uh we just kind of hung out all week i did nothing productive but that's all right <laughs> it's, uh, it's always good to get to have some family time around christmas so yeah definitely enjoyed the family time but uh it it was a good trip i miss them already but um you know now it's time to kind of get back to the grind with the new year coming how about you for sure it was a good week lots of relaxation um it was, I, let's see, let me, what day did I finish? I think it was near the end of last week. I, I finished out everything for last semester. Yeah. Uh, got all my assignments in and everything. So I passed, so that's good. <laughs> um, but it was just really a lot of relaxing because the first week after you finish a, a long semester, for those of you that went to college, you know that uh, that can be a time where you just want to lay around and not do, <laughs> do a whole lot for a little bit, but. Yeah, it was it was good. That's good. Not a whole lot going on, just chilling. Yeah, and you still got a little over two weeks before next semester starts. Yeah, but still got some you're more. Time. Not, you're not um you're not like going to school every week this next semester, right? Um I'm we'll see. I'm thinking about it. So the classes I'm gonna have like for credit yeah. are just gonna be the modules. Okay. There are a couple classes that week meetly that I'm thinking about auditing just because I think there will be interesting classes even though I don't need the credits so if I audit those I haven't decided yet number one if I'll audit them but also I haven't decided if I do audit them if I'll just do it on zoom and stay here or go up to school makes sense well uh, speaking of LBC I just mentioned that the new semester starts in you know a little over two weeks January 15th that's our you know, weekly mark your calendar. Um, with the new year coming, there's going to be some other mark your calendars. But for right now, we just will remind you again that the new semester for LBC starts January 15th. And if you're interested in, in taking classes, growing in faith, or training uh, and, and growing to be a leader for Christ Church, then, you know, talk to one of us or, you know, look the school up, talk to the um Anybody that knows about the school or call the school yourself and they'll be able to get you the information you need to to get started with it. So we hope you had a wonderful Christmas remembering Jesus and we hope you'll have a great new year as well as you're listening to this new year is two days away probably. Are you making any New Year's resolutions this year? New Year's resolutions? Um... Do you, do you, have you done them in the past? I have, and I don't think I've ever accomplished any of them. <laughs> well, maybe, the, maybe this year can be the first. I, I just have a horrible, some people are really good at discipline, and I'm just not one of those people. I'm so bad at, that is, that has got to be my worst trait. Well, there's your New Year's resolution, to become more disciplined. That would be a good one. That's probably step one of a lot of things that I need to 
New Year's resolute. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you know what you need to do, man. Um, but make it happen. Uh, I haven't, th- I haven't even th- thought about New Year's re- resolution until you just brought that up. But yeah. I hadn't either. It just kind of came to me. So well, maybe we'll we'll talk about our New New Year's resolutions next week. <laughs> okay, um, if we have any. So let's hop into Luke eighteen. Um, we are just we are just a chapter away, really, from what is often described as the final week, and meaning the week leading up to Christ's death. And next chapter, we'll see the the triumphal entry, which is the mark of the beginning of that week. And so we're we are just we are really getting close to to wrapping up Luke and also seeing why all of this happened or you know the the pinnacle or the peak of why everything that we've covered so far has happened and why Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God ultimately it's because he dies on the cross and you know so we're approaching that very quickly but as we dive into chapter 18 here there's 43 verses the chapter title for this week is Deny Yourself, and as we go through this, you'll, you'll pick up uh, the reason or why that is our chapter, t- chapter title for this week. So, starting with, you know, the first little section here, verses 1 through 8, we have the way my Bible titles it is parables on prayer so there's one parable verses one through eight and then there's another parable after that um i don't have a first verse comment oh, let us down man you normally do <laughs> i don't have one today although i do have something for this first section you could say that the first verse tells us the purpose of the parable that's true that's true He's, he tells us straight up, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And as you read that parable, what what you really draw from this whole thing is this is really connecting back to the last chapter. The last chapter, Jesus foretells of his second coming, how he's going to be coming again. And then he says, and he's teaching them to pray and not lose heart. And they're supposed to do this while as they wait on Jesus to return. And I, I truly believe, um, and, and this is honestly a, probably a conviction that started at the beginning of this year uh, when I did a lot more study on prayer for a sermon. But I really believe that the number one way that we show God that we trust him is through prayer. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of ways that we show him we trust him, but there is something about the communication aspect in telling God the things on your heart and your mind that that is an exceeding level of trust than, than anything else. I mean, you can do a lot of things for a person in your life, but when you open up your heart and your and your life in that way to somebody, 
that is when you really show somebody that you trust them. And so when we take that time to do that with God, we are we are stepping into a different level of trust. And that's what he wants from us is complete, utter trust um, to, the, to the fullest extent. And so Jesus is saying, pray, completely trust in, in God in this time period as we wait for Jesus to return. And, and I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before or if it's happened in one of our conversations that we weren't recording, but I don't know about you, but that can be really hard to do just as a man, I think, for us a lot of times, yeah. is admit that we need help from any anyone else, even God, sometimes I think it can be difficult. I I don't know how you are. I don't know how the people listening are, but or the, at least the men listening. For me, I've always been with most things. I've tried to be very independent when, it, especially when it comes to like solving problems or like if there's something in my life that I don't like, I like to just fix it myself. And not have to rely on other people to do it. And I think that can negatively affect my prayer life at times. I want to handle all of life's problems on my own. And not have to rely on anyone else, including God sometimes. And that, so that's an area that is just personally hard for me. And I, I feel like probably is a, an area of struggle for a lot of men specifically. Not that women wouldn't have that problem too. but And uh, I, I want to make... This clear, I think sometimes we struggle with that because of pride. We 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 think or know we can handle it ourselves, so we do. But then I think sometimes we do that because we don't want to burden other people. But either way, God wants us to either a be humble which we're going to talk about in this chapter, or B, he wants us to shed our burdens, which we're also going to talk about in this chapter. So there is, both in both circumstances, we have to shed something away in order that we trust. And I mean, I think from, there are times where I'm very prideful and I will admit that, but I think for me more often than not, when I'm when I'm not trusting somebody, especially God, it is because I don't want to put a burden, or I I, I want to carry the burden myself because I I um it's I feel like the burden is on me because I've put myself in that situation, yeah, and I feel like I have to take care of it on my own and and it's really hard for me to give that up at times and let God help me but it is something that is God helps is going to help us through if we would just do it. I I don't know why we are I don't know why we hold on to stuff like that. And I think that really gets at one of the applications we can draw out of this first parable here where Jesus is comparing God and an unright and an unrighteous judge about yeah. how the how God listens to requests and how an unrighteous judge will listen to requests and the parable tells us that 
<laughs> the only reason the un- unrighteous judge um, ends up helping out was it a woman that was talking to him? Yeah, the widow. The widow, city. right. The only reason he helped her is because she was just pestering him and bugging him and getting on his nerves, and so he finally relented. Yeah. Well, one of the main things we can draw from this, I, I think, is God is not like it. <laughs> the unrighteous judge in the sense that he's only going to answer our prayers when we've bothered him enough for him to be like, all right, I'm tired of you talking to me about this. Here you go. God delights when we persistently pray to him. And so it's not that we are <laughs> um, burden, b- putting a burden on God or or anything like that when we pray consistently like we're talking about here, but God wants us to, to come to him persistently. And that's why Jesus says in verse 7, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Those of us that that trust him, and go to him day and night in prayer and show that we trust him with our lives and and with the things that burden us um he he brings about justice for them and and you know he's with them day and night as they are trusting him to be with him day and night um and then he finishes the parable with however when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth so it is it is back to what we talked about in verse 1. Don't lose heart. Pray continually. Trust him continually because he is coming again. And for the faithful, when he comes again, we get to spend eternity with him. Right. And then, you know, we can hop into the next parable about prayer. And this is kind of where we get into the the necessity of humility. You know, we were talking about how a lot of times it's hard for us to trust God because of pride. Well, Jesus gives a parable about trust and and he gives this parable about, you know, the difference between the Pharisee who had a lot of pride and the tax collector who was very humble. And I, you can even read the, their short prayers. I'll, I'll read the Pharisee's prayer first in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you. It's interesting that it says to himself. Anyway, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So, um, first of all, notice that this prayer is all about him. There's not really anything about God except for the fact that he acts as though he's addressing God. But that's why well, it I, says he's praying to himself. Which that's that's why I you said mentioned that. it. I had planned on talking about it when I was reading the chapter this week. But also, five different times he uses the word "I" in his what is this a two sentence prayer? Three maybe? <laughs> yeah. He I mean he says. God, I thank you, there's one, that I am not like other people, there's two, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. So he's... Yeah, it's all about him. He's talking about himself constantly. It says He says he's praying to himself. He's uh, making sure God does not miss his righteous deeds of fasting twice a week and paying tithes of all he gets. He's He doesn't want God to forget all the good things that he's done. You can tell this prayer is very eye-focused. And what's really interesting, and it kind of just adds to the depth of this parable that Jesus is giving, is 
in in this time, as you read the Gospels, you really learn this. People loved the Pharisees because they were like the great teachers of the time. And then tax collectors were hated and despised. I mean, people all thought they were cheats, which, I mean, a lot of them were cheats because they were taking more than what they were actually supposed to take. But, I mean, so you've got the contrast of a person that the people loved and then a person they hated, but it's not the person that they hated that's doing the wrong here. It's the Pharisee whom they loved is being self-righteous and um, the, the tax collector is the one being humble. And so his prayer is, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, this guy comes before God recognizing he has sin, and he feels so unworthy to even be talking to God that he doesn't even, like, look up. He's actually, you know beating his breast and bent over, unwilling to lift his eyes. You know, he's, he's, I mean, that's kind of the picture of how many of us pray. You know, we bow our heads and we fold our hands, whereas this, this Pharisee's upright, nose stuck up, you know. Yeah. Um, like, look at me, God, I'm, I'm great. Well, <laughs> we know Jesus says later in this chapter, nobody's good but God. Yeah. And, uh, this tax collector really understands that. I think it's important to notice in verse 14, Jesus tells us one of these people went home justified and the other one didn't. And if we were looking at it in terms of, well, who's really a worse sinner? Both of them were sinners. Don't get me wrong. You probably could say the tax collector was a worse sinner than the Pharisee. However, the tax collector is the one that goes home justified because he was willing to humble himself and recognize before God that he is a sinner. He calls himself a sinner in his prayer, and he also recognizes he needs mercy. He's asking God to be merciful to him, whereas the Pharisee is just all about himself and all about the good things that he's done. And so there's this this lesson on pride and our need to need for God and our need to trust God. And then the very next section, verses 15 through 17, it taught, you know, you would think that by now his disciples would learn. You would would think we would learn by now. But then there's this further emphasis on we need to trust God. We need God. I mean, that, that is the emphasis of this chapter over and over again, you know, denying yourself. Um, I'll, I'll read verse 16 and 17, but Jesus called for, for them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child will not enter it at all. And I, this, this section is, has been confusing for me and for you in the past, you know, what does this really mean? But what we've come to to understand the best about this is 
especially with the context surrounding it, is the point is a child knows and understands that they need their parents most of the time. They understand that. And we have to understand that we need God. There is no survival without God. Um, You know, we may have all the riches of this world, um, and we may think we're living, but in all reality, our soul is dead, and we don't recognize our need for God, and then we're going to wind up enduring the punishment of our sin. So we have to recognize our need for God because of our sin, because of our unrighteousness, and and be humble before him. Just in the same way children can't make it in life without their parents helping them to to live, we on our on our own doing cannot make it into the kingdom. I mean we see that here in the immediate context of the Pharisee trying to justify himself by talking about how much he tithes and how much he fasts. But if we're gonna kind of tie the context here together of Jesus talking about the children and what we just learned from Jesus about prayer is that we can't do it on our own. We can't become justified with God on our own. We can't enter the kingdom on our own. Like a child, we have to realize that we are dependent upon God like a child is dependent on their parents. And so, you know, you look at what the Pharisee prayed for. It's it's good that he's not a swindler or unjust or and he's not an adulterer and... Um, you know, it's good that he isn't cheating people out of money like many of the tax collectors were. It's it's a good thing that he was fasting and, you know, paying tithes. But, he, you know, we've talked about this before. He's missing the heart of it all. It's not about what he's done. It's about who God is and our need for him. That is why we, we fast. That is why we tithe. It is... Why we do the right thing is because he is righteous, he is just, and we need him in our lives. And so this theme continues as we get into the parable of the rich young ruler, or not a parable, sorry, the account of the rich young ruler. Um, this man, you know, comes to Jesus and calls him good teacher and what we find a lot of the time in the Gospels when somebody calls Jesus a teacher, it's normally because he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Um, so you can kind of think about that as we see how the rich young ruler responds to Jesus and what he's saying. And the, it, Jesus actually kind of hints at the fact that this guy doesn't believe Jesus is the Christ because Jesus' initial response is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So if this guy thought Jesus was the Christ, then then he would have called him God. Right. But he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus is making the point, don't call me good if you don't think I'm God because only God is good. Yeah. Um, he does ask him a good question, though. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He does ask him a good question, and Jesus is, you know, straight up. 
Um, he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And, you know, at this time, we understand they're under the old covenant and uh, the way that faithfulness is seen seen the best or the most is is through faith, you know, adhering to the law the best that one can and, and you know, there is a level of faithfulness still in meeting the heart of the th- of the commands that the Pharisees weren't understanding. But um, the response that the the young ruler gives is all these things I've kept from from my youth. So he's saying, you know, I've done this perfectly. It's kind of reminiscent of the prayer of the Pharisee huh. a little bit. And maybe he's genuine, you know, maybe not that he's never broken any of those, but it's it's very possible, I think, and this is just my opinion, that he's he's been a, a fairly moral man. Um, we don't really have any reason to believe that he's uh, some terrible guy. So it, it, it's possible that he really has done pretty good, all things considered, to, to follow these. So remember that... Part of trusting in God is humility. And part of trusting God is shedding burdens. And we see here that whether the rich young ruler realizes it or not, he has a, number one, he has a, a, a pride about his wealth. But number two, he has a burden, whether he realizes it or not, of this wealth that he has. And so Jesus says, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then it says, but when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So this man is struggling with letting go of his wealth. He, he can't, he, he loves, he loves his his wealth and and the position probably that it gives him and and the power that he has and what so many people don't realize is as we accumulate more and more things as we accumulate money there it it puts on a person extreme burden and so consider that wealth can equal distraction Wealth can equal responsibility greater than maybe what we can handle. Wealth can equal greed. Uh, and wealth can equal being tempted in a lot of new ways that if you didn't have that wealth, you wouldn't be tempted sure. into. Um, and I'm sure there's other things that having wealth tempts a person into but we see just off of those few things that I've listed why Jesus is then says it's hard for those that are rich to enter the kingdom of God because it is such a great temptation or distraction and responsibility that they that that people with wealth bear now Is it impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? No. Jesus says 
it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I've, I've explained this, I think, the last two podcasts, but I'll say again. When Jesus says this, he's, he's not talking about a sewing needle, you know, the fine metal, real small needle. That, that a camel to enter, a, that it is impossible. But what Jesus is referring to is a needle in this time, is there was in to inner cities all of the major, especially major cities had walls around them and there would be gates at like the north side the west side the east side the south side maybe northwest you know there would be gates around the city to enter yeah. and in those gates there would also be a smaller door for like one person to enter through and that door was called the needle. And there would be times where the gate wouldn't be allowed to open, only the door would be allowed to open. So in order for the the camel could go through it, but in order for the camel to go through it, it had to shed all of the things that it was like carrying the and bags packing. And, luggage. and you know, camels the reason they use camels is because they can carry a, a very heavy load. Um, so it had to shed all of that baggage so that it could fit through that door and it would have to like crouch down on its knees and almost crawl through the door. Well, you know, you can really get the imagery here. In order for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, they have to shed this burden they have to give all that they have to God and not love their earthly possessions so much. The, they have to recognize that the reason that they have all that they have is because God has given it to them in the first place. And, much, and, and they have to humbly crawl through the eye of the needle and that's hard. And you know, that's while hard. the while this direct context is talking about the rich young ruler and is talking about you know Jesus says you have to sell all that you possess and and give to the poor so that you can have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Th- this whole thing is about his wealth was his problem and that his his riches ended up being his ruin. Uh, in order to follow Jesus, he Jesus said, "All right, you got to get rid of some of some of this wealth you have, and give to the poor, and then come follow me." And we see he goes away sad because he had a lot and he wasn't willing to get rid of it. But I, I think it's fair to say here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when we decide to follow Jesus, it always comes with giving something up. It always comes with denying yourself, and so maybe it's fair to say. If you've been following Jesus, or you think you've been following Jesus, and there's been nothing that you have given up, nothing that you have denied yourself, nothing that you've changed about your life since before you started following Jesus, maybe you've got some thinking to do. Yeah. And so, why why I bring this up is because we're talking about wealth and riches here. That's what this man had to deal with, but... Maybe there's something else that you have to deal with. I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm not a wealthy person. <laughs> um, in, in light of 
how much people in third world countries struggle. You could consider me wealthy, but definitely in the the culture that I live in here, I'm I would not be considered someone that's wealthy. But there's there's plenty of things that all of us need to realize we need to give up in order to follow Jesus. Yeah, I I totally and there's there's always going to be something else in our life that we need to learn to give up. I mean, there's going to be new things that enter our life that we become distracted by or gain a responsibility with or uh, have a temptation to fall into that we have to be willing to give up for following God. I mean, really, Jesus was attacking this rich young ruler's idol. Yeah. It, it was what he was, his wealth was something he was not willing to part with in order to become right with God, right? To become right with Jesus. Because, I mean, you see his, his response in verse 23. When he heard Jesus tell him, okay, you've got to sell what you have and distribute it to the poor, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And we don't know here if the rich young ruler ever decided to to follow what Jesus said in, in obedience and sell what he had and follow him. The text doesn't tell us that, but it, it, it kind of leaves the door open to the fact that he didn't. Um, we don't know one way or, or another, but it seems that he was he had idolized his wealth to the point of if it comes down to following Jesus, following God in the flesh, who was standing right in front of him, telling him what he can do to inherit eternal life. That was the original question. Remember that he had asked Jesus, "What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" So he understood eternity. He understood that. His life on this world wasn't going to last forever, but that there was going to be a a eternal life and that he could inherit it. He understood all of that, yet he still wasn't willing to part with his idol of wealth in order to obey what God had told him. And so what is it that we might be idolizing and not willing to part with in order to follow Jesus? Something to think about. Definitely something to think about. So then, you know, those that heard it, um, some of them being the disciples, say, then who can be saved? Because they're, you know, they view this rich young ruler as, you know, a great guy. He's got all this wealth, and, you know, he's young, and he's already got all this wealth, and, you know, he's seemed to have followed all the commands. You know, if he can't be saved, which is kind of the impression they get from what Jesus says about the camel going through the eye of the needle, who can be and here we have a verse that is probably miss probably taken out of context more than i would say more than any other verse but at least more than a lot of verses you know this is one of those ones that's taken out of context a lot but Jesus says the things that are impossible with people are possible with God um a lot of, or I, I think the other, the verse that connects to that, that people pull out of context a lot is, um, what is it, the one in Philippians? 4.13, I can do all things yeah, through Christ who yeah, strengthens me. Yeah. The point of this is with God, anyone can be humble and live right. It isn't anything is possible, like, you know, God... You know, God may have given you the skills to 
be a great football player, but it's not, you know, that that's not the intention of that verse at all. The point is, with God, we can shed our burdens, we can lay aside pride, you know, even the rich man with God can be saved, but it has to be with God, it has to be trusting him and laying those things aside. But without God, without, without recognizing our need for God, you're left not entering the kingdom. Yeah, we see here that the, 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 the direct context of this, of this verse about the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. The direct context is about entering the kingdom. And, and these, these guys are all, are all confused about how, well, if this rich young ruler can't enter, this wealthy man... That who can, and then Jesus talks about the camel going through the eye of the, the needle. Well, who can be saved then if not even wealthy rich people can? It's those that realize that it's possible with God. Yeah. So then I find it very interesting that the way that Jesus kind of, I guess, wraps this topic up a little bit is he gives a prophecy about his burial, death, burial, resurrection to come in verses 31 through uh, 34. And, you know, he, he will, Jesus will fulfill these verses and he will fulfill seeking and saving the lost through these verses. And it's just really interesting that, you know, denying self is directly related to following Jesus who laid down his life for us and and resurrected and proved to be the Christ, the Son of God, through his resurrection. But then the chapter ends with something that seems kind of out of out of character with the rest of the chapter out of place out of place maybe but the point is the 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 ending here is all about faith if we're going to deny ourselves or if we're going to have faith we have to deny ourselves we have to admit our need for christ and that's exactly what we see here at the end of the chapter is this man bartimaeus is admitting his need for Christ. Um, and I would like to point out something really interesting with this. As you see in, in verse 35, it mentions that Jesus was approaching Jericho. And so this this blind man is sitting by the road begging, and he hears the crowd and, and recognizes that Jesus of Nazareth is passing, and he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then all these people around him are, are shushing him, telling him to be quiet, and he again cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what's really interesting is, being that it's Jericho, it takes me back to the Old Testament passage where in, in uh, Joshua... Where they're, you know, doing their marching around the wall, marching around the wall, and and Jesus or God tells them to to shout, 
at the end, and when they shout, the wall will crumble. And that's what happens. They're, they're faithful, they shout, the wall crumbles, and they're able to take Jericho over. And what do we find here? We, we see this man by Jericho, and there's, from what we know about this time when Jesus was alive, there were two Jerichos. There was um, the old rebuilt city of Jericho, and then there was also Jericho built by Herod. And like in Mark and Matthew, they say that Jesus was leaving Jericho. So, and then in this, it says that he's approaching Jericho. So he was probably leaving one of the Jerichos and heading to another Jericho. Right. And, this one is most likely whichever Jericho is closer to Jerusalem because in the next chapter we'll see that he then the next thing he does is enter Jerusalem. But the point is it, it they it still reminds us of that story. And so this man, like the Israelites back in the Old Testament, is shouting to God, shouting for God in faith. And what we see that's interesting is in both cases, a barrier falls. Faith removes the barrier. In the Old Testament, faith removes the barrier of the wall so that they can enter the city, the formidable, the formidable Jericho. In this case, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. So in this case, faith removes the barrier of him not being able to see. He, he is, his sight is restored. But it's all about faith. It's about this man denying himself, admitting his need for Christ in this, very, in this moment, and showing Jesus, I know that you can save me. I know that you have the power to give me my sight back. And I am admitting now I need you. Without you, it's hopeless. Faith removes the barrier. Sounds like you've got your next sermon ready. <laughs> that, that would be a good sermon. That might be one for the for the um, sermon. Uh, Put that in your notes file. Yeah, the, the sermon file for, for the future. It's a good idea. It removes the barrier, first, the wall of Jericho. Second, it removes the barrier of of this man's sight. And third, it removes the barrier of your sin, which separates you from God. There you go. Three points. That's how they teach you to do it in Bible college. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, verse 43, immediately he regained his sight. So his faith has made him well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him. Notice that. He began following him because he was faithful. Glorifying God, so he's thankful. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. When people see, this is the last thing that I have to say about it, about this. When you trust God, with everything you got, when you lay aside your pride, when you when you lay aside your burdens, 
when you come to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and put your faith in him, and people see how he has changed your life, they will begin to praise God too. They will begin to see it, and it will change them. Um, Me and Jacob have just recently finished reading Lee Strobel's Case for Creator. And something he brings up a couple times in his book is how his wife becomes a Christian. And he, they were at first they were both atheists, and then you know years after they had been married, his wife becomes a Christian, and he sets out on this journey basically to prove her wrong. That Jesus isn't, you know, who who she thinks he is. But because of her faithfulness and because of the change that he saw in her, it led him to doing the research that he did that then led him to Christ. So, you know, we need the the emphasis here at, at the end is we need to glorify God for what he's done in our life so that others see it and begin to glorify God in their own lives and and allow God to change them as well. It's good stuff, man. You got anything else? I think that covers it. Deny yourself. Choose to follow Jesus, be one of his disciples. And so we'll say again as we do each week as John 15, 8 says, Go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.